Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we bring you the very latest reporting and analysis of this historic moment in America. Today, December 18th, 2019, will go down in history as the day that President Donald Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives. He is now just the third president in American history to experience this political black mark, joining Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. I'm lucky to have two incredible guests to help me contextualize and analyze this historic day. In a few minutes, I'll be talking with Laura Barone Lopez, who is a CNN political analyst and a national political reporter for Politico. But first, it's truly my honor to be joined by the legendary political consultant, Bob Shrum. He managed the Gore campaign in 2000, the Kerry campaign in 2004, and he's now the director of the USC Center for the Political Future. Bob, we're in Los Angeles today preparing for tomorrow's Democratic presidential debate, but we are so happy to have you on this very big day. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. I am delighted to be here. I want you to hear, first and foremost, from Speaker Pelosi, who uh, took the prerogative as speaker to really open up uh, the debate on the House floor today on articles of impeachment. Here's Nancy Pelosi. When our founders declared independence and established a new nation, they crafted a system of government unlike one ever seen before, a republic, starting with the sacred words, we the people. For centuries, Americans have fought and died to defend democracy for the people. But very sadly now, our founders' vision of a republic is under threat from actions from the White House. That is why today, as Speaker of the House, I solemnly and sadly open the debate on the impeachment of the President of the United States. If we do not act now, we would be derelict in our duty. It is tragic that the President's reckless actions make impeachment necessary. Bob, I just want to get your initial thoughts on this day. It seems to me the speaker is trying to elevate this over the partisan battle that it plainly is and that the final vote on the articles will show it to be uh, to try and elevate this uh, to something more fundamental. Uh, Do you think she's successful at doing that? And what do you make of this day? Well, she's successful intellectually at doing that. She's not going to persuade Republicans. Uh, Look, they don't even defend the president's conduct. Uh, They basically say things like, well, it's probably not impeachable, uh, or maybe we should censure him, I guess somebody said. Uh, Nancy Pelosi did not want to do this. She did not lead Democrats back to a majority in order to impeach the president. Uh, But once the Ukrainian material came out, the, the phone call with Zelensky and all the other stuff that's followed, I think she felt there was no choice that if Congress was going to do its duty and if Democrats were going to be true to their oath, they had to move ahead. And, you know, with the exception of Justin Amish, who's left the Republican Party and has become an independent, uh, apparently not one Republican has the courage to say this is wrong and we have to stop it. It's a startling contrast with Richard Nixon, uh, who... Uh, avoided impeachment by resigning abruptly. Right. He didn't get this far in the process <laughs> right, that we're at today. Right. Yeah. It was about to happen. <laughs> yeah. And But what happened was that Barry Goldwater and you, Scott, who was the Republican Senate leader, and I'm old enough to remember all this. Howard Baker. Went, Howard Baker. They went down to the White House and they said to the president, you have to resign. 
And if you don't resign, you will be impeached. And if you're impeached, we will vote to convict you. Uh, So that country is gone. I mean, we are totally polarized here. But I think Democrats felt they had no choice but to go ahead with this. The other arguments that I hear from Republicans uh, that I was hearing in the debate this morning on the floor, there was no law broken here. There's no crime. Um, If you get interrupted in the middle of a burglary and you get arrested, you've committed a crime. That's what happened at Watergate. Uh, You can't say, gee, we didn't succeed in getting them to investigate the Bidens, or the president didn't succeed in getting them to investigate the Bidens. The offense is that he tried. You know, we do have things like attempted robbery, attempted murder. Right. (laughs) And this was clearly an abuse of his own power. You talk about how polarized we are right now as a nation in Congress, but also all the polling on this impeachment effort right now shows the country is pretty locked in and divided. Also, this is not um, as Republicans are very fond of saying, but as, as Nancy Pelosi said when she was very reluctant to go here, this is not an overwhelming bipartisan effort uh, that she thought was really needed uh, to move to impeachment. And now you said the Ukraine affair clearly changed her calculus on that. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And you just heard her that she feels there's a constitutional duty to live up to their oath to do this. But it is it, it does raise the question of. If we're so divided, if everyone's locked in, if you if there, if you can't convince one way or the other, how do the American people respond to this? Does this stay top of mind as we head into the election year? Well, number one, as you know, until near the very end, the uh, support for impeaching Richard Nixon never reached 50 percent. Uh, but the Congress moved ahead and then it spiked over 50 percent. Uh Number two, and Bill Clinton, by the way, who was impeached, obviously not removed, was, never reached this level that the president's at now. I think he was, he was down at thirty-five percent, maybe. He was at seventy-three percent approval when right. he was impeached by the House. Uh, but I do think the Clinton example is instructive about what could happen in the election as a result of this. Uh, I disagree with the conventional wisdom that somehow or other this was good for Democrats uh, for Clinton to be impeached because they gained a few seats in the House in 1998. What happened was that the scandal opened the way for George W. Bush to run a campaign in which basically he argued, I'm not going to change much. I'm going to give you a little tax cut to share the prosperity. But most of all, I'm going to restore honor and dignity to the White House. So while Bill Clinton had very high job approval ratings in 2000, he had very low personal ratings, and people were happy to move on. And that was one of the problems, I can tell you, that we face constantly. I was going to say, you in know this Gore intimately, campaign. yes. yes. And, and whether or not uh, Al Gore was going to embrace Clinton. I mean, all through 99, uh, when, when the Gore campaign, when you guys got it up and running, there was this constant question about Gore, should he embrace Clinton or not? And it seemed like... There was no real resolution. The attempt was not to, but not fully well, separate what, from what the popularity. Did, what he did was embrace the Clinton economic record in his acceptance speech. Uh, but the president was not there that night. He was back in Washington. He left the convention. And Gore, I think, pretty famously said in that speech, I stand before you tonight as my own man, and I want to tell, I want you to know me for who I truly am. And it was an extraordinary speech in a way because he was about uh, – 13 points behind going into that speech. And two days after the convention, he was five points ahead. Uh, But it would have been, look, if it had not been for the Lewinsky scandal, it's almost impossible to imagine 
that Al Gore would not have been elected president by a big margin. I happen to think he was elected, but not inaugurated. But that all involved Florida and, <laughs> yes. and, and several hundred votes. And I do think there's a direct line back to what you're saying about our politics today that started with the impeachment of Clinton into a tied presidential election, if you will, in 2000, uh, you know, immediately on the heels of that to the Iraq war. I, we, I, I believe it was the Clinton impeachment that started this this modern period of intense polarization. Yeah, it, it, it's rooted, I think, in Newt Gingrich's tactics uh, to take back the House in 1994. That led naturally on, I think, when the Republicans got a reason to do it, to trying to impeach the president for a private sexual relationship. I mean, this is not calling the head of a foreign government on the phone and saying, by the way, can you do me a favor? I want you to investigate my opponent, and then I'll give you the military aid you need to save your country. Yeah, no, that it, totally different circumstances. Before I let you go, I do want to get your take on where we are in the battle for the Democratic nomination uh, right now. As you know, seven candidates are poised to, date, to take the debate stage here in Los Angeles uh, tomorrow evening for the final debate of the off year of 2019. Uh, they'll have six more debates uh, next year when the voting begins uh as we head into the christmas holiday and we're about uh less than seven weeks now to the iowa caucuses what do you see as the state of play uh biden is remarkably resilient for all of the criticism he's taken from some quarters all of the press that's been pretty tough on him uh he's he stayed the course his big problem is that he appears to be weakest actually in iowa and new hampshire which start off the process. Now, if he could pull a John Kerry, and uh, who was, you know, in November of 03, as I well remember, was like sixth in the polls in Iowa, and then came on and won it handily. Uh, if he could do that, I think he'd be the nominee. Yeah. Because I think the labor in Nevada would be for him. Uh, he might not win New Hampshire, but he'd win South Carolina. And I think most Democrats would say, that's fine. If he comes up short in Iowa, New Hampshire, do you still think, though, he is favored for the nomination? Uh, if you had to pick one person, you'd have to say yes, unless you ha had someone win both of them, win both of them convincingly. And people in South Carolina, especially African-Americans in South Carolina, began to say to themselves, well, maybe he's not the person. Uh, now, that that would require... A lot. It would require a Pete Buttigieg to win both of them convincingly or Elizabeth Warren to win both of them convincingly and to build a relationship with the African-American community, which Buttigieg is obviously working very hard to do all the time. He is, although we've seen no evidence of it uh, working to any degree just if, yet. If it works, it will work at the end of that process. It will not work halfway through that process. Many more twists and turns to go in this Democratic uh, nomination race. Bob Shrum, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. In just a moment after the break, we'll be talking to reporter Laura Barone-Lopez. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. Stepping up to the microphone here on this consequential day in American history is CNN political analyst and national political reporter at Politico, Laura Barone-Lopez. Laura, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I want you to hear just a little flavor of some of the debate that we heard on the House floor 
today as members of the House prepared to vote on these two articles of impeachment against President Trump. First, you're going to hear uh, from Debbie Lesko, Republican of Arizona, and then Joe Kennedy, Democrat of Massachusetts. I believe this is the most unfair, politically biased, rigged process that I have seen in my entire life. Here are the facts. There is no proof, none, that the president has committed an impeachable offense. Not one of the Democrat witnesses, not one, was able to establish that the president committed bribery, treason, or high crimes and misdemeanors as required in the U.S. Constitution. Dear Ellie and James, this is a moment that you will read about in your history books. Today, I will vote to impeach the President of the United States. And I want you to know why. He broke our laws. He threatened our security. He abused the highest, most sacred office in our land. I want you to know that it does not feel good. I can't stop thinking about the cost to our country. Not just the impeachable offenses, but the collateral damage of a president who uses power like a weapon against his own people. Erodes our decency, degrades our dignity. I don't yet know how they will tell the story of this era, but I want to tell you the story of this day. Let the record show that today, justice won. Laura, what is, um, seems to me to be a dichotomy of the day is we're watching this uh, historic event take place on the floor of the House of Representatives. Um, and uh, we heard early in the podcast from Nancy Pelosi, this is um, sort of the as the Constitution uh, crafted this moment, you have this big American moment. But what you just heard from those two different members is it is playing out in two totally different realities uh, for these parties. I mean, Republicans say time and time again that they say absolutely no proof of anything wrong here. And um, the Democrats see the president as a threat to the national security. So there's no... There, there is no consensus on impeachment, and, and it is a totally partisan divide right now, which begs the question that I have for you, which is, so where to from here? When, when the Senate trial's over and he's acquitted, how will American voters, do you think, assess what this moment was about? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think that we're watching, yes, two parallel worlds right now, um, but... It also is important to point out that 50% or 53% of Americans do think that Trump should be impeached. A big Uh, number. It is a big number compared to past presidents who have had to go through this, like Bill Clinton. Um, So the American public appears to want some action taken against this president. Uh, some form of accountability. And yes, I think many of the voters do know that ultimately the Senate, as you mentioned, will um, acquit him. But uh, when I'm out on the campaign trail, so many of them still are very concerned about corruption. I think that's why certain messages um, 
including Trump's of draining the swamp, resonated, but also Elizabeth Warren's of rooting out corruption in D.C. at at all levels. And uh, I think where the country goes from here uh, will be very much based on uh right the 20 the 2020 cycle and how it plays out so whether or not those voters um which right now seem to be talking about a lot of things other than impeachment like gun control and like health care a lot of what was discussed in 2018 those you, know. you don't hear from democratic voters on the trail very much about impeachment you're no, saying? You, yeah you, you don't, don't at all um very few bring it up. Yes, they say they think that Washington needs to be fully changed. They still don't feel as though the change uh, that that they think needs to come to Washington has happened under Trump. Um, they do feel as though Democratic voters feel as though the corruption has gotten worse. Um, but they talk about gun control. They talk about health care costs. They talk about, you know, stagnant wages, even though the economy is doing well. Um, and, and so that's what you hear about yeah. consistently. You know, the Republican voters, though, seem to um, be rallying to the president's defense here uh, on impeachment. He's going to hold a rally tonight in Battle Creek, Michigan, um, a key state that he won in terms of breaking through that blue wall in the Midwest that he broke through to become president. That's where he'll be as these articles of impeachment are passed out of the House of Representatives, and he will be rallying the faithful um, around this notion uh, that he is being uh, mistreated here. Do, do you not see some ability for the president uh, to take this historic stain on his presidency? No president would want to be impeached, but use it as a way to yet generate enthusiasm and juice uh, the commitment of his uh, supporters, not only the ones that are already no matter what going to vote for him, but like minded uh, neighbors of theirs who maybe didn't vote last time. To the first question uh, about can it help him rally his base? Yes, I think it it can. I think that um, that was a fear that Nancy Pelosi had, which is also why she didn't want to go down this road unless she saw real evidence, you know, which is why they didn't go down. Democrats didn't go down this road after Mueller. They went down it after the Ukraine transcript came out and, and after the president on the lawn said the exact same thing, said it out loud, that he wanted Ukraine to investigate his political rival Biden and even invited China to potentially do the same. Uh, Whether or not it can can attract independents, I'm not so sure. Other voters who weren't involved, because, again, the polling shows that a number of independents um, from like 45 to 50 percent do think that the president has done something wrong. And not independents, though. I'm wondering, though, does this help him bring some rural uh, voters that uh, did not participate last time around mm-hmm. and get them to join the cause that they, not just not a persuasion effort to independence, but can he um, grow the size of his base of his base? I'm not sure because I'm not sure how much of that base there is to grow anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Republican electorate is much smaller than it used to be. So whether or not he can actually grow that, I think I'm skeptical of that. Um, Where we see where Democrats could gain numbers is that uh, there was a depression of black and brown votes in in 2016. Uh, And so if whoever the nominee is, is able to uh, gain enthusiasm there and push them to come to the polls, then then that would maybe make up for where Clinton lost. And I guess the big question remains is how much will this impeachment moment 
which uh, will end up, once the Senate's done with the trial, uh, being nine months before people head to the polls and vote in the next presidential election. How much of this still top of mind for voters and how much does the Trump campaign and the Democratic nominees campaign intend to make it top of mind or will it sort of fade uh, like so many things do in our current news cycle? I think that uh, top of mind will be again, healthcare. It will, especially since there could be a ruling uh, in the summer uh, about the ACA and protections for pre-existing conditions. So um, as well as, gun control and wages and everything. If Democrat, whoever the nominee is, if they do talk about it, I think they will talk about it in broader terms, which is corruption in Washington, uh, the president uh, potentially profiting off of the presidency, uh, nepotism, uh, things of that nature, I think is how they will weave it all in. Laura Barone Lopez, thank you so much for being here. Greatly appreciate you having, having you on the podcast. We'd like to thank all of you for tuning in. Remember, we've got a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow.